You are listening to a message recorded at Living Hope Church in Southwick, Massachusetts. We hope you find encouragement through God's Word today. If our worship is a little longer today, every so often we like to spend a little extra time in worship and to worship the Lord and encourage people to participate in worship as well. This morning I just want to share a short message with you on the, from the teachings of Jesus. This morning I want to talk to you about the blessed life. Now, when it comes to the blessed life, we often think to ourselves, we all have different ideas of what that means. We sometimes think that the blessed life means that we never have any problems, everything goes our way, and there's never any difficulties, and we're always taken care of and well-fed and you know, provided for. But the blessed life is a little bit more than that as we look at what Jesus had to say about that. So the question we ask ourselves, what is and what does it mean to have a blessed life? Does it mean that everything goes my way? Does it mean that everything works out the way I want it to? Or is it possible that we can have a hard time on earth but experience the blessed life in eternity? Can we find comfort in the difficulties we experience in this life through the promise that God has for us and his promises to us? I believe that we can. Turn with me to Luke, uh, sorry, Matthew chapter 5. And we'll be looking at verses 1 through 12, and we'll be looking at the, uh, the teachings of Jesus concerning uh, the Beatitudes. Now, to give you a little background, Matthew 5 is the start of the Sermon on the Mount. This is Jesus' inaugural address. It was one of his first messages to people who would consider becoming his followers. That's important. This is his first message to a crowd of this size. The first time that he's teaching publicly to large groups. And it's an invitation to become his followers. People started following Jesus because of his healing miracles. But this is the first time that he addresses the crowd, a crowd of this size. And he opens his address with the Beatitudes. Now the Greek word for Beatitude is Beatudo, which means happiness or blessedness. Happiness or blessedness. And he gives the crowd an invitation to partake of the kingdom of God. So understand that when Jesus is speaking for the first time on the Sermon on the Mount, it's an invitation to be part of and to partake of the kingdom of God. I don't know about you, I want to be part of the kingdom of God at work here in the world that we live in. That we're not looking to the kingdoms of this world for answers, but we are looking forward to a kingdom that is eternal and that will never pass away. That's the kingdom that we should look to. That's the kingdom that we're looking forward to seeing. Now, Jesus gives this uh, invitation to partake of the kingdom of God, and it's appeal for, we're for those who are outside of the elite of society. Many of the people in the crowd were on the outside looking in. Not good enough, not smart enough, not wealthy enough, not religious enough to be considered to be part and welcomed into what people considered to be blessed. Jesus' gospel here is for the everyman, not just the wealthy, the happy, and the religious. It's a message for every person. And if you look at who Jesus ministered to and who was drawn to him, it wasn't always the best of the best of society. It wasn't the cream of the crop. It wasn't the people that everybody else looked at and said, you know what, what a great following he has. Do you notice that he has like the mayor following him and the publican following him and, you know, the chief religious leaders following him? Isn't it great that he has such an influential 
following. I wonder how many followers he has on Instagram. Jesus was not an influencer with influential people, but rather he influenced people and in such a way to change their lives so that they change history and they change the world forever. There's also a messianic connection to this as well. Blessed are those who mourn over the state of things, for they will be comforted. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Those are not things that they could acquire for themselves. But were promises that only the coming Savior and Deliverer of Israel could give them. This was an invitation to be part of the kingdom of heaven, which was now at hand. It wasn't prophecy anymore. It wasn't just a prediction of the future. The kingdom of heaven, when he says, the kingdom of heaven is at hand, he says, I am here, my ministry is here, and this is an invitation for you who was previously on the outside to now participate and be, become part of the in crowd, so to speak. You know what it means to be part of the in crowd? You know, if you were in school, maybe you were on the outside, you weren't included in certain things, you weren't cool enough, you didn't dress well enough, you didn't make as much money, your family wasn't as wealthy as somebody else, and you were left out. Jesus is speaking to left out people to invite them to be part of the kingdom of God. Sometimes we look at blessed as just meaning happy. But it's more than that because as you read through the Beatitudes, Jesus talks about things that are not very happy. Instead, blessed refers to the promise that the believer has in Jesus. Jesus contrasts the st current state of things of the hearer's life with the promise of the kingdom of heaven. And I, I want to draw that contrast today that your life may be anything but happy right now. Your life might be anything but blessed at the moment. But contrast that with the promises that we have in the kingdom of God and it puts us with a, a, a look and an intent towards the future and towards what God has in store for you. Do not the scriptures say, uh, you know, no eye is seen, no ear is heard, nor has it entered in the heart of man what God has prepared for those who love him. If you love him here today, then God's got great things prepared and in store for you. Do you believe that? And it's not to say that there are moments where it isn't just garbage and that your life is just hard. You know, we just went through two years of just uh, frustration and loss and difficulty and it's not to say that there aren't going to be moments in your life where you experience those sort of things. But we contrast this life with the life that is yet to come. We contrast this world and this kingdom with the kingdom that is currently at hand and that will become an actual physical reality someday. Dallas Willard observed in his book, The Divine Conspiracy. Don't get worried, okay? Don't get afraid when I say the divine conspiracy, okay? But he's talking about Jesus' mission and his calling. And he says there's an overtone of need in each of these beatitudes that only God can reward and fulfill. Willard points out that there's many who misinterpret the beatitudes as standards in order to meet to become part of the kingdom of God, but instead he emphatically rejects that idea. Instead speaking that Jesus spoke to those who are downtrodden and gives them an opportunity to follow him and receive 
the blessings of his kingdom. Listen, when we look at the Beatitudes, we can't simply say, okay, this is for those who have already attained their righteousness, already have done these things, and then they'll receive the kingdom of heaven. It's Jesus' first major public message. So nobody in the crowd, that crowd could do that. So nobody in that crowd could, could attain that. In fact, that would be a frustrating message to those who are sitting there because they're like, I'm not righteous. You know, I don't hunger and thirst after these things. I don't, I don't mourn because of, the, you know, my condition spiritually. So if it doesn't have a spiritual overtone, then is there a more uh, natural explanation to that? Jesus used the Beatitudes as an introduction to the kingdom of heaven. And it's a difference between an introduction and an invitation. What he does first is he introduces it, and then he invites you to it. He says, this is what the world is like, and this is what my kingdom is like. Would you like to be a part of it? And let's be honest, there's many times in the world that we live in that looks nothing like a blessed life. Many times you might sit down to your dining room table and work on the bills, and you say, my life is anything but a blessed life right now. You might be looking at your, your you know, recent visit to your doctor, and he might bring to you all the things that are wrong and that you need to change. Some things you might need to change as far as your diet, as far as your medication are concerned. There are some things that he's saying to you that may not ever change. And you might go home thinking to yourself, my life is anything but a blessed life. But what the Beatitudes offer us is Jesus' message as an invitation to a life of blessedness in the kingdom. So let's take a look at these Beatitudes together. Turn to Matthew 5, verses 1 through 12. And it begins by saying, And Jesus, seeing the multitudes, went up on a mountain. And when he was seated, his disciples, they came to him. And he opened up his mouth, and he taught them, saying, First, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Now, the Gospel of Luke chapter 6 parallels Jesus' Beatitudes with blessings and woes. And in that gospel, he simply says, blessed are the poor. Now, there has been some debate as to what Jesus meant by poor in spirit. Some believe it meant those who were actually and physically poor. A lot of Jesus' followers were poor. But Jesus doesn't mean it's a requirement in order to get into heaven. He doesn't say, be poor, and then I'll let you in. No, he doesn't say that at all. He had people that were wealthy that followed him, people like Nicodemus and others that followed him. He wasn't saying be poor. Now, for, in some cases, some people whose God is wealth and their whole thing is wealth, for them, he might say to them, give up everything and follow after me. But he's not saying that you have to be poor to get into heaven, but rather blessed are those who are listening because those who are listening, the uh, kingdom of heaven and the blessed life wasn't just for the wealthy. It wasn't just for the well-off. In fact, when Jesus talks about and confronts the uh, man, the rich young ruler, and tells him to sell everything he has, and the, the rich young ruler went away sad, Jesus says it's harder for a rich man to get into heaven, uh, the, harder for a camel to pass through a very narrow gate than it is for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. And the disciples were shocked by that. Then they said, well, who then can get into heaven? And you might be puzzled by that phrase. But when you understand culturally that if you were well off, you were considered to be blessed by God, and that you were close to God, they said, well, how can this man not be close to God if it's hard for him to get into heaven? So it gave hope to the, the poor and the ones who were 
not well off, that there was the kingdom that was available for them. It gives hope to the disenfranchised that even though they were in poverty, they could become royalty. Another meaning for this is for poor in spirit is spiritually poor, people who are spiritually bankrupt, who have no religious connection or conviction or spiritual life. Would there be those that were in the crowd that day? Absolutely. There would be people who knew that Jesus could heal and he could do great things, but they, they probably weren't religious themselves, maybe weren't even allowed in the synagogue, maybe were not spiritually attuned to anything. And this was good news to them because it meant if you were spiritually impoverished, if you were spiritually lacking good news, you can partake of the kingdom of God through Christ. 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 3 and 4 tells us that we have a heavenly inheritance in Christ. Romans 8, 16 and 17 tells us that we are heirs with God and co-heirs with Christ. We have access to an inheritance and a heavenly kingdom that we wouldn't have if it weren't for Jesus. Secondly, verse 4. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. This encompasses a different kinds of mourning. Whether it's those who mourn over the state of their own sinfulness, mourning over the shame and guilt of the past, fearing they can never know God, for those who have this fear in their heart that they could never know God, they, could, they mourn because like, I, I'm not as good as the other people that seem to be good in the world that we're living in. I, you know, I, I want to be close to God, but I don't think that will ever be for me. There is hope for them. The comfort is that even the worst of people can find salvation and forgiveness in Jesus Christ. To mourn, there are those who mourn over the current state of things. Sometimes you look at the evil that's in the world and you go, how can any good come from this? Sometimes you mourn and grieve at the news that you see on the television at night or the things that you read on your phone in the morning and you're deeply troubled and you mourn and grieve over these things. He said, blessed are those who mourn for they will be comforted. The whole idea of Jesus the Messiah, the chosen one of God coming is that he would uh, right injustice. He would right every wrong. He would make things the way that they should be. That was the mark of the Messiah's ministry coming to earth. Sometimes mourning means there are those who have lost things of value in their life. Maybe you lost a friend, a loved one. Maybe you lost your job. Maybe you lost your place in life. If you've experienced loss in some way, Jesus brings comfort to the grieving and the mourning. And yes, grief can go beyond just losing someone to death. Sometimes when you lose a friendship, you mourn the loss of a friendship. When you have a division in your family, it hurts at first. You might be troubled by it. You eventually deal with it, but you still mourn the loss of the way things used to be. If you had a job and you lost it, and you mourn the loss of those things that you used to have and the changes you have to make to your life, the good news is that Jesus, the chosen one of God, the, the Savior of the world, comes to dry tears, to comfort the afflicted, to give strength to the weary. That's the promise that we have in Christ. And when you talk about it, when Jesus gives this address that the kingdom of heaven is at hand and he invites them to come, when you understand it that way, it's a little bit more exciting, isn't it? It's a lot more appealing. 
when you think about it, like, I can go to him in my grief, in my sadness and sorrow, and find hope. Verse 5, Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Meekness is gentleness and humility. There's nothing stubborn, brash, or bold about meekness. Meek people are often gentle, quiet, polite, and unassuming. They are the kind and caring people of the world, which unfortunately means sometimes people like this are overlooked and trampled upon by more forceful and outgoing people. The world sees people like that as being weak, as being complacent, as being pliable. But even though the world looks at it as weak, it's a character quality that the Lord wants in all of us and wants in the world to come. Remember, the book of James says that God opposes what? The proud. But he gives grace to the what? The humble and gentle. Meek people may be overlooked in this life, but God will not overlook them when he sets up his kingdom. Listen, you might have been passed over for a promotion in your job because someone was more outgoing and more glad-handing and more political than you. And that might drive you crazy. And you're like, why can't someone see me? Am I invisible? Does anyone even know that I'm there? The word of encouragement from the scriptures today is that you are not overlooked by God. Meek people may be overlooked in this life, but God will not look, overlook them when he sets up this kingdom. The principle of the last shall be first and the first shall be last. And whoever must be, wants to be the greatest must act as a servant comes into play in this teaching. You may feel like you're invisible in this world, but God sees you. And when he establishes his kingdom, people like you is exactly who he's looking for. Verse 6, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. These are those who have a strong desire to do what is right and a strong sense of right and wrong. They are those who want to be upright in God's sight. But even though you might have that desire, it's important to note that you cannot achieve a righteousness in yourself that is acceptable to God. Even the best person in this world is still sinful in God's sight is still an individual that's in need of redemption. It is not for us to be able to say, okay, that person deserves to go to heaven. How many times have we watched the news, have we read the newspapers of someone that we thought was incredibly good, kind-hearted, and a man of God, a woman of God, a righteous person, and then some scandal comes out. And it completely taints their legacy and everything they stood for. Why? Because the righteousness was just a, a tomb, a veneer, a paint job over something that was rusted and uh, corroded underneath. So our own righteousness is not enough to be able to please God. The Apostle Paul wrote that all of our righteousness are like rubbish, like filthy rags compared to God. It's like when you think you have a dress that's white and then you stand next to something that's pure white and then it just looks like it's off-white, Right? Or, or you go to the bathroom and you brush your teeth and you look at your teeth in the mirror and you're like, my teeth are white. But they're really off-white. Maybe they're even yellow compared to like, you do the tissue test and it fails the tissue test miserably. It's like your teeth are not white. 
But we always think that we're pretty good, we're pretty clean compared to somebody else. But once we compare ourselves to who Christ is, what his standard of righteousness is, then we realize that we're really just off-white and maybe a little yellow and stained when you look at it. So how then can this desire for righteousness be satisfied? It is fulfilled only in Jesus. It is only Jesus that can save us. It is only his sacrifice on the cross that can pay for our sins and, and to satisfy what is necessary. All of us have uh, racked up a bill, so to speak, when it comes to doing things. Every stray thought, every uh, unkind word, every action that we did behind someone else's back, God keeps record of those things. But it takes someone to take the pe penalty, the punishment, to pay the debt. Once that's done, our account is made clean. It's not about us trying to make the account clean or trying to balance the sheet and make more money. Listen, if you, <laughs> let's, let's quantify it for a minute, okay? If you have a massive amount of debt, say you have twenty or $30,000 of debt, okay, I'm not saying you do, but if you did, if you had a lot of debt, and then you made a whole bunch of money, but you never applied any of it towards your debt, you have a whole bunch of money and a whole bunch of debt, Okay? And we sometimes think that that's how it works with God, that if I just do a whole bunch of good things, I'll have a whole bunch of good things, and eventually it'll cancel out all the bad things. No, you still have a debt that needs to be paid. Jesus came and paid the debt, wiped it out. It has nothing to do with anything you've done. It has everything to do with what he did on the cross for you. But forgiveness, redemption, salvation is only available if we choose to accept it and accept Christ's invitation to be a follower of his. Furthermore, a heart that hungers and thirsts for righteousness will be fulfilled. Those who pursue after the heart of God that love what he loves and desires what he desires, they will find fulfillment, contentment, and happiness in that. God is willing and able to grant them the desires of their heart. Verse 7, Blessed are the merciful, for they will obtain mercy. Being merciful is about being compassionate towards those who suffer. Like the good Samaritan cared for the one that was robbed, bandaged his wounds, took him to safety, and put him up in a hotel at his own expense, so we need to be merciful and compassionate as well. Compassion is Christ-like love exhibited tangibly to those in need. There's a difference between compassion and pity. Pity goes, isn't that too bad? Shouldn't somebody do something about that? Pity goes, isn't that awful? Someone's hungry. Someone's in need. Someone needs a place to live. Someone needs help. Someone should really do something about that. But compassion says, I will be the one that tangibly helps and offers to do something. We need more of that in the church today. Instead of shaking our heads and folding our arms at the way of things, we should be people that are motivated and moved with compassion to help those in need. I've always been a person for the 24 years of ministry that God's blessed me with that I'm not a person that complains about the way things are. Give me solutions to fix what's wrong. If there are those who are homeless, instead of saying how bad homelessness is, let's support ministries that minister to the homeless. 
If we feel that abortion is bad and wrong and we're grieved by it, we should be looking to do crisis pregnancy centers like Clearway Clinic to help those that are considering it who are really actually struggling with it to be able to make the right decision. We need to be solutions-based, activities-based, compassion-based in our response to these things in our world. We need to be merciful and to respond by helping those in need. Mercy is also about forgiveness and grace. Jesus' parable of the unmerciful servant warns us that God keeps records of those who are unmerciful and will punish those who lack mercy. As recipients of God's forgiveness and grace, we should share and exhibit mercy and grace to others. Jesus commands us to forgive. It's not an option. I wish it were. Because there are some people I really don't like at times. And there's people that have done tar- terrible things to me and my family that I would rather forget. And I certainly don't want to forgive them. Can I just be honest with you? Are you troubled by that? Are you disturbed by that? Or do you feel the same way? They don't deserve forgiveness. They need to earn forgiveness in our minds, in our hearts. But then I'm reminded by the Lord, did I make you earn it? Did you deserve it when I gave it to you? And the answer is no. By his grace and the goodness and benevolence of God himself being made manifest in Christ, we are the recipients of mercy and grace. Listen, hear me today. If you're you're struggling with the idea of being forgiven by God because you've messed up and you've done some things, I want you to understand that God's not waiting for you to get to be a a point where you're just good enough to extend grace and mercy to you. Grace and mercy is available to people that do not deserve grace and mercy. So that means all of us, every single person whose buns are in a seat today, you are the recipients and you are a candidate for the grace and mercy of God. I don't know about you, that should make you happy. You should be blessed by that because it doesn't matter about what I've done All that matters is that he is a God of mercy and grace. We're commanded to forgive. Jesus even said that if you don't forgive others, my heavenly Father will not forgive you. When we forgive, we offer mercy. You know when you've truly forgiven a person when you no longer wish ill on them. That's how you know you're forgiven. When you say, like, I hope that happens to them. I hope they lose their job. I hope their kids walk out on them. I hope their marriage breaks. And you, all the things that, like, you practiced when they wronged you in the first place about all the things you wish would happen to them. And you say, like, I don't wish any of that. You know you've truly forgiven when you said, I don't, want, I don't wish any ill on them. And what you've done is you've given it over to the Lord. The Lord says, revenge is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. And when you think about it that way, your heart should be changed and say, God, be merciful to them because if it was as bad as what they did to me and you'll hold them accountable for it, they're going to need mercy. Blessed are the merciful because they themselves will receive mercy. Verse 8, blessed are the pure in heart for they will see God. The pure in heart are those who have motives and desires and actions that are godly and upright. They are those who do what is right and keep their hearts pure. People who do this will see God face to face. 
The picture here is of one who enters the court of a king and can approach without fear because of their friendship and their relationship with him. They know there's nothing hidden in the background. There's nothing that, that needs to be discovered that if it were discovered, I'd be in trouble. A person uh, who, the, who is pure in heart knows that they can go before God because they know there's nothing, I have nothing to hide, Lord. I have nothing in my past to hide. I have nothing, I've already laid it out before you when I asked for forgiveness and I asked to receive you as Savior. It's already been cleansed and wiped out, so I don't have anything to be fearful about when I see you face to face. Listen, when you have something, when you've done something wrong, wh what are you trying to do? You're trying to avoid the people that you've wronged. If you owe somebody money and you don't have the money to pay them back, you're trying to avoid the person that you can't pay back. Judgment day is coming. We will all stand before God one day. And what he's saying is that blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. They don't have to fear seeing him face to face. That on judgment day, when we're, we all stand before God, and we'll be judged according to our works, whether they were good or bad. We don't have to go, I hope he likes me. I hope he accepts me. I hope he loves me. No, if you've been redeemed by the Lord, if you've been saved, if you've been set free, your desire is not like, oh, I'm, I can't, I'm afraid of judgment day. I hope that I won't see God face to face because what's he going to say? What's he going to do? No, I long to see his face. I look forward to seeing his face. I want to hug him when I see him. Don't you? I just want to hug the Lord like in an uncomfortable sort of way where you're holding it too long. You know what I mean? Like you have hugged somebody and you know, it's like, okay, I'm, you know, I'm done. I'm tapping out. Enough. Right? Guys hug, they lead a three taps. That's it. We're done. But sometimes people hug and they're just holding on and you just like, too long. But I feel like that's how it'll be because he's just, he's been so gracious. So gracious. I deserve to see him. But his love has made it possible. So I don't fear seeing him face to face. I look forward to it. So blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God face to face, just as Moses saw the Lord as a man sees his friend. Verse 9, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called sons of God. Peacemakers are those who strive to prevent contention, strife, and war, who use their influence to reconcile opposing parties and to prevent lawsuits and hostilities in families and neighborhoods. Alfred Barnes. They do not create conflict and dissension, but rather seek to prevent it. They are peacemakers, not peacetakers. There's a difference. You know people in your life that are peacetakers? You see them and you're like, oh, Lord, here they come again. Here they are. And all they have to do, and they are just there to make your life miserable. They're there to complain. They're there to cause problems. And you're like, I do not want that person around. It might be at family gatherings. It might be at holidays. And you're like, oh, God, if we can just get through this Thanksgiving without Uncle So-and-So doing that. What a, what, a, what a victory that would be for us. So there are people that definitely remove the peace from the situation, but then there are those who are, uh, bring peace, who, who bring peace to the situation. They are peacemakers, not peacetakers. They do their best to help people be at peace, whether a calming or difficult situation or bringing calm to one who is troubled in spirit 
with the comfort that God provides. A peacemaker helps to bring people to Jesus. He endeavors to help others find reconciliation and peace with God through Christ. A peacemaker looks like Jesus. They resemble their heavenly father. For Jesus is the prince of what? Peace. Ephesians 2.14 says that he is our peace who has broken down the wall of separation between Jew and Gentile. We know Jesus today because he has broken down the wall. We can have the faith that the Jewish people had access to. Salvation was first to the Jew and then the Gentile. We can receive that today because he's broken down the walls of separation. He has made peace for us. He has made peace with God possible. And so if we have faith in him, we can have peace with God. When we act in peace, we act like our Heavenly Father. When we act in peace, we act like Jesus. When they see that, they see that we belong to God. And we are called sons of God. You still with me? I know I'm going. I'm going. We're getting there. Verse 10, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Persecution means to be pursued, troubled, and put through difficulty. I don't know about you, I don't want to go through persecution. Western Christians often think that they are persecuted. Fortunately, we haven't yet seen the persecution like believers in other parts of the world, like China and Saudi Arabia and the Middle East and other parts of the world. We're not to seek persecution, but rather when persecution comes to us, we should just recognize it as part of being a follower of Jesus. When you choose to follow the Lord and live uncompromisingly according to his commands, expect difficulty. Expect pushback. For example, if you celebrate the end of Roe versus Wade, expect persecution because people will hate you for it. Following Jesus means that at times you will face hardship and difficulty for his, for his sake because of who you know and what you stand for. The early Christians understood that their association with Jesus could cost them their very lives. But he reminds them they are blessed because even if that happens, they will go immediately to be with the Lord. So blessed are you when you're persecuted for what is right. What is good when you're persecuted for my sake because the kingdom of heaven belongs to you? It's like, well, what if they take my life? What if they take everything I have? God will take care of you, and his, the kingdom of heaven is yours. Verse 11 and 12. Blessed are you when they revile and persecute you and say all kinds of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceedingly glad, for great is your reward in heaven. For so they persecute the prophets who came before you. Jesus is speaking about people when they slander you, when they say evil things about you, and your family, when they drag your reputation through the mud, when they try and destroy you. When they do this, this shouldn't come as a surprise. They are doing it because of who you represent. You re represent Christ, and if someone can make your life miserable or difficult to get you to stop representing him, they will. If this happens, you shouldn't think it's something strange or complain to God as though he's the one that's doing it to you. Remember Jesus' words. He said this would happen. If you follow me, if you 
keep my commands, if you represent me, if they hate me, they're going to hate you too as my followers. He tells them to rejoice because they're in good company. The same thing that happened to the prophets, God's messengers for the people. People really didn't like the prophets. Why? Because they would sometimes say things about changing their life and following God and doing the right thing. So there would be times that people just did not like the ministry of the prophets at all. And so as a result, sometimes they persecuted them, put them to death, treated them, mistreated them unfairly. He said, listen, you're in good company if you are persecuted for my sake. Because just as they didn't listen to the prophets, so they won't listen to you either. But remember, great is your reward in heaven. He says, listen, no servant's greater than his master. If I was persecuted, you'll be, you'll be persecuted, okay? But great is your reward in heaven. We sometimes spend all of our time consumed with the rewards of this life, forgetting at times that there's a reward that we should seek that's higher. There's an approval that we should seek that's higher. Sometimes we're looking so much to be approved in the eyes of men that we compromise who we are in the sight of God. The only approval that really matters is his. The rewards that he has for us on the other side are great. We need to remember what we stand for, and if we get difficulty because of it, to not be terribly surprised by it, but remember whose approval we're looking for and remember what we are doing here and whose reward we're after. We're after his, not the world's. So let me wrap this up. Living a blessed life doesn't mean that things always work out for you. Living a happy life doesn't mean that everything goes your way or that your life is free from trouble. Your life is only blessed when you find Jesus. He is the source and author of all blessings. Your life becomes blessed when you hear the good news that Jesus spoke to you and you believe it. Then your happiness and contentment is not found in anything that you have or don't have in life. So if you're looking at happiness like, if I just had a better job, if I just had a better marriage, if I, my kids just listened to me better, if, if I were just a little more well-known, if I, if I was an influencer of men, if I was just a leader, if I had a bigger church, or if I had a bigger business, then I would truly be happy. You know, happiness and contentment in Christ is not about what you do or don't have. It's about who you, what you have in Christ. That's all that matters. Because at the end of the day, when you leave this life, that's all you'll have. Either you have it, or you don't have it. Choose to look at your life differently. Don't look at how you're viewed or treated. Remember, Jesus is addressing a crowd of people that are on the outside of what's the in crowd of society. Let your happiness rest in your standing before God and how he sees you. Because when you choose to accept Christ as Savior, you're a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. You are loved, forgiven, and free. Remember what I said, that the, the Beatitudes are an uh, introduction to the kingdom of heaven and an invitation to partake of the kingdom of heaven. He invited them to be part of this blessed life. It's a good reminder to us, but sometimes we see being blessed as being only one way. That when we have everything we want, and when people love us and look up to us, then we're blessed. We sometimes only see happiness uh, and blessedness when things are going our way, but happiness in Jesus is not based on these things. It's based 
on what we have in Christ. I want us to do a little exercise as we close this out today. And I'll ask the worship team to come up again. I want you to look at this. Now, I don't often do this because it can be a little dangerous, okay? So there are times where, um, you know, it's, it's, people want to personalize the scripture and make it for them. And usually that's a recipe for disaster because that's where a lot of bad doctrine and bad theology comes from. But in this case, I want us to take a look at the Beatitudes, and I want us to, to look at it differently because when we talk about blessed are those, we look at them as though they're someone else. Blessed are they. Who's they? Who are those? We sometimes think it's somebody else, and we're talking about somebody else. But really, if we are in Christ and we've received him, then we are among those who are blessed. And when we go through difficulties, we actually are fortunate and blessed because we know that Jesus said these things would happen to you, and if they do, here's what the kingdom has in store for you if you go through them. So I wonder if you can do this with me. We're going to kind of go through each of them simply. And what I want you to do is as this, uh, these words are going to come up on the screen, I want us to read this together, okay, corporately. Because to know that, listen, life may not always be happy and good, but it doesn't have to be in order for God to bless you, okay? Does that make sense? All right, let's do this together. Number one, I am blessed when I am poor and humbled by the things of the world, for I will see the kingdom of God. Amen? Like, oh, if I'm poor, does that mean God's not with me? No, sometimes it means that God's right there with you, okay? When, things, when you're humbled by the circumstances of life, you will see the kingdom of God. Number two, I am blessed when I mourn over the way things are, for I will be comforted by God. He will make things right. That's the assurance, right? God, I'm grieved by the world I'm in. When he comes, he will make all things right. Thirdly, I am blessed when I am meek and overlooked, for God has a place for me to rule with him in his kingdom. No more passing you over anymore, just because you're quiet, demure, and gentle. God's got, place, God's got a place for the loud and the quiet in his kingdom. God's got a place for the, the, uh, the, the driven and the passive in his kingdom. He does. And so there's a place for you in that kingdom too. Number four, I am blessed when I hunger and thirst after God's righteousness, for God will fulfill that longing to me. Isn't that wonderful? that he will give that to you if you long for him you long for doing what's right he will fulfill that desire in your heart number five i am blessed when i offer mercy to others for i will receive god's mercy when i need it amen how wonderful that is like god i need mercy god i need grace for the situation i need grace for the person i'm dealing with and if you act mercifully towards others in your time of need, God will show you and give you mercy. Number six, I am blessed when I keep my heart pure, for I will look forward to seeing God and not fear him. Number eight, I am blessed when I am persecuted for doing the right thing, for I will receive the kingdom of heaven as inheritance. 
Doing the right thing's hard. It really is. It's easier to just simply not deal with it. But when you do and you encounter difficulty, know this, is that you will receive the kingdom of heaven as an inheritance. Number nine, I am blessed when people mock, persecute, and slander my name because even the prophets experience this and I will be rewarded by God. Amen? So we need to know that. And sometimes you need to tell yourself that. When you're going through things, you're like, my life's miserable. My life's a mess. My life's no good. It's good to acknowledge when things are out of line and that you need to change some things. But sometimes we're following God and like, I don't feel blessed. Blessing is not always a feeling. It's an understanding. Joy is not always a feeling. It's rejoicing in what God's given you or the promise that you have in Him. So understand and tell yourself that. When I'm going through this, God's with me. When I'm going through this, I'm part of a kingdom that's not part of this world, but it's a kingdom that will never perish, spoil, or fade. God wants us to see that we are blessed in two ways. As a Christian, you have the blessing of the life to come, eternity in heaven with Jesus. But we are also blessed when we're walking this life too, even when things are terrible. It doesn't mean that you are less blessed as a Christian because life's not going well for you. You're blessed because Jesus is not just waiting for you at the finish line to see you struggle and crawl across it. He's walking with you even now. You're blessed because of the company you keep, not because of who you are. Let me say it again. You're blessed by the company you keep, not by who you are. If the Lord's walking with you and you're walking with him, it doesn't matter how bad life gets, he's going to get you through it and bring you out the other side. We need to remember that, that he's with us. I wonder if we can just pray as we wrap this up today and understand that God is and desires to be with us and to know that he is not forsaken us. This is an invitation to partake of the kingdom. I wonder if we can just bow our heads and close our eyes for a moment. And like, I don't know everybody here. It's good to see some people that are familiar that I haven't seen in a while. It just gives my heart great joy to see you. But I don't always know where everybody's heart is. So Jesus gave an invitation to the crowd that was seated there on the mountainside. He says, you know, this world is terrible. This world is hard. This world is difficult. But there is a blessing that's available to you. The kingdom of heaven is here. I represent the kingdom of heaven. Christ is here. And he says, I want you to come and follow me. There's an invitation to come and follow him so that you don't have to walk this life alone. You don't have to wonder about where what your status with God is. That if you were to die tomorrow, would, you, would God welcome you or would you be really nervous about that? You can settle that issue today in your heart and in your mind by just simply looking to him and saying, you know, Lord, I accept your invitation to follow you. I want to follow you. I don't want to be like other Christians. I want to be a true Christian and follow you. And so this morning, with nobody looking around with our eyes closed and our heads bowed, I just want to ask you a question. Will you accept Jesus' invitation this morning to follow him and be part of his kingdom? All he asks of you is to follow him, to lay aside the past, to seek forgiveness for your sins, and to say, I'm willing to choose to follow you. And Lord, where you lead, that's where I'm going to go. If you want to accept his invitation today, 
you just let me know by just simply raising your hand and saying, Pastor, I want to accept Christ's invitation to follow. If that's where you're at, just raise your hand. Thank you. Anyone else today? I want to follow Jesus. I want to know the kingdom that is to come and to not be worried or fearful. Anyone else? With their heads bowed and eyes closed, let's just pray. I want you to tell God right now. Say, God, I, I want to follow you. Forgive me for what I've done. I believe in you. I thank you for dying for me, and I choose to follow you right now. Right where you are. In your own way, just tell him. I'm not going to give you the words this morning. If, if I've been speaking to you today and it means anything to you, you know your need for God. And you know what you're doing right now is not working for you. So right now, you just say, Lord, I need you. God, forgive me. God, help me to follow you. I choose to believe and follow you. Wherever you lead me, that's where I'll go. Even if I don't understand it, even if it's hard, I choose to be a Christian today. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening. We invite you to join us Sunday mornings to worship with us. We are located at 267 College Highway in Southwick, Massachusetts. For more information about Living Hope Church, visit us online at www.livinghopechurchag.org.